Greetings and welcome to the Cathartic Yardstick with your hosts, Ray and Mark. In this episode, your intrepid hosts sit down with the ever-fabulous Elise and talk about predictions for 2022. You know, my Aunt Claire always predicted that if she ever fell in the ocean, she'd float. I guess she thought she was clairvoyant. do a quick intro hey uh go welcome, ahead welcome to the cathartic yardstick podcast with ray and mark i'm ray i'd be mark and uh this is the cathartic yardstick podcast and joining us tonight is a special guest elise hello elise hello everyone and we are doing a- <laughs> <laughs> thank you so many friends out there <laughs> we should have around all the time uh-huh. and uh we're, we're doing a, a reprise of our predictions podcast last time we did this was in 2019 before the whole world blew up and uh we didn't see that coming we did not see that coming for you listeners refer to episode 10 yeah mm-hmm. I, I can't believe it was that long ago mm-hmm. but a lot has happened and we're going to do a slightly different format this time around. And instead of making predictions so much about specific events, we're going to talk more about general trends, uh, you know, what's happened in the last couple of years and where we think things are going to go in the future. And, and Mark, do you want to maybe you want me talk? To, want to recap? Yeah, why don't you recap what, what happened last time? On our last thrilling episode, <laughs> we, um, we actually missed a bunch um, on episode 10, but we actually hit some things. I think. Oh, okay. Uh, the, the big miss is nobody saw COVID-19 coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who knew? Mm. You know, so pandemics are sneaky. Okay. Politics in the U.S. Of course, I'm going to have a couple of mine probably come true because I'm not, a, I'm not a risk taker. So I'm not going to, you know, wager risky bets on the Kardashians and stuff like that. So I safe side <laughs> stuff. And I, so I, I got a couple that came true here, I think. But in politics, um, one theory we had was that uh, people will start getting fatigued of the circus that happens when the base in both the political parties get so much power that nothing gets done. They're just busy throwing rocks at each other. And so I said, watch the Problem Solver Caucus. And what's interesting is they've gone from 40 members in 2020 to now 58 members, evenly divided between Republicans and Democrats. And they've actually been a force in the uh, the teeing up of the infrastructure bill that passed and also the COVID relief legislation that went through. So does it mean something? I don't know. But, uh, but we kind of hit a piece of that, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, technology. Um, I had a prediction in here that uh, electric cars would become more mainstream. I mean, it's probably not all that controversial. But what's interesting is I took a quick look at it. And um, in, in 2019, you had 2.1 million electric cars produced globally. In 2020, it went to 3.1 million. 2021, 5.51 million globally. Tesla sales have have gone up in 2018, when we talked about it last, probably is about 197,500 units. And in 2021, they've gone up to 936,000 units. So Mm -hmm. it looks like Tesla's leading the charge. Mm 
mm-hmm. and electric electric cars are becoming more mainstream. And I know when I go to my local convenience food mart, there are ten, right by the gas pumps or on the other side of the gas pumps, there are ten charging stations for Teslas. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Now, where where we had our best batting average was on celebrity breakups. Who knew? Who knew? Um, Easy to bet on. Yeah. And Elise, you were half right on one. Um, your prediction was the fascination with Ariana Grande and Pete Davidson will continue. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know where Ariana is, but Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian. <laughs> Could not be higher up on the public consciousness. Yep. So Pete Davidson is still here. Um, I was half right on one. Chloe Kardashian and Tristan Turner. And I guess they're 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 officially off again now. Mm-hmm. And then and then uh, Ray hit a home run here with uh, Jamie Foxx and Katie Holmes. That they were going to break up. That they were going to mm-hmm. break up. And to, to be honest, I don't even remember them even being an item <laughs> at this point. <laughs> well, well, it, look, you're right. I mean, don't don't take away from the victory. <laughs> so those were I, I didn't I didn't talk about any of our misses, but those were our hits. Mm. That's pretty yeah. good. That's pretty yeah, good. it's not bad considering. Mm-hmm. So, what do you want to talk about now? So, look, looking ahead uh, to what's coming up, one of the things that you know around here, like in this house, we've been talking a lot about is is when will COVID end? What's that going to look like? When's it going to happen? Mm-hmm. Um, my theory is COVID, you know, despite our best efforts, COVID will eventually end itself. Mm-hmm. And I think we came pretty close with the Omicron. Mm-hmm. I think the, the way this ends is it it evolves into a strain where it's just as contagious or maybe even more contagious, uh, but it doesn't have anything maybe more serious symptom-wise than the, the annual flu or even a cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also gives you protection against getting it in the future. So basically, it, it kind of becomes its own vaccine in a way. Yeah, eventually we'll just have more natural immunity and better vaccines probably every year mm-hmm. that, that cover uh, wider strains. It'll just be yeah. endemic. Mm-hmm. I, I I agree. And my, what my hope is, is that the new strains that come out are progressively weaker. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Or it, it, that in the that end, the combination of our treatments becoming better. And and it, it becoming increasingly ludicrous to have to have a new booster every ninety every ninety days, where it'll just evolve into all right. It's time for your annual flu slash COVID booster shot. Mm-hmm. But the difference is, in the old days, people would go, "Yeah, right. I'm under eighty, so I'm not going to bother getting my annual flu shot." Now you really should. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to end up ending itself. The right. question is when, because I want to drag out my telework for as long as possible. <laughs> yeah, it's all about me. <laughs> well, I mean, and you know, ideally, uh, an infectious organism doesn't want to kill its host. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, if it can develop a, a version of itself where it, it's less lethal, uh, people will will be more tolerant of it being around, mm-hmm. and then it'll just uh, burn itself out. Do you think it knows how many people it kills? No, it's it's. Does it weigh think, heavy on it? Yes. I, I, th- I, think you're, I think you're right. I think you're right. But I always kind of wonder, how, how would it know? 
you know, it's funny we talk about it like it's an intelligent process, mm-hmm. but it just replicates so many million copies of itself that it, it's just uh, it's basically natural selection. It, it's it's a random process, like like legislation. <laughs> Lately, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just keep reproducing. <laughs> we hope for a less a less unhealthy strain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like this year is going to be really similar to last year in terms of the waves that we see. You know, we're seeing a higher. Uh, winter wave and then we'll go into a low in the spring and summer and maybe a smaller wave in the fall and then hopefully by then I feel like we'll start to see something change um, but I think we're going into it knowing a, a lot better how to deal with it both on a personal level and a societal level we're getting to a place where I truly feel like we've reached the new normal like we're mm-hmm. we're understanding how to live with it um, in a way that we didn't before and know how to keep ourselves safe so are you thinking at least 2023 will will be kind of like or or will it be 2022 when people say okay we're going to start returning to work two days a week social distance is a norm no more handshakes that kind of thing i i feel like this year 2022 i feel like it's going to mirror 2021 2023 i feel like it's going to be maybe at uh kind of half half uh intensity so okay. we'll we'll still see a little bit of spikes and we'll still maybe see some concern around how intense the virus is but things will continue to open uh back up even more and then i feel like by the time we get into 2024 i think we'll be at a comfortable level where it's gone down to uh the flu like seasonal flu level okay yeah, interesting. My my predictions, we'll just see if any of this comes true. Um, but I think had this been a short blip of flatten the curve, you know, 90 days or whatever, mm-hmm. we probably wouldn't have learned a darn thing and we would have returned to the old normal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think now it's been long enough where things are forever going to be different. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think people are actually learning how to do zoom meetings and MS teams meetings mm-hmm. and things like that. So I think there'll be less travel. Yes. Um, I think, I think there'll definitely be more telework. Even when you go back in the office, it's hard to imagine people saying, okay, back five days a week in the office. Nah, genie's out of the bottle, man. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you mm-hmm. successfully did it with zero people in the office. So, so it's going to be something like two days a week in the office, something like that. I think, um, I think the handshake is <laughs> is going to be gone. Is it will mm-hmm. it will it keep? Will we go back to the you know the fist bump or the elbow bump? I don't know, but I think the handshake is going to be gone. Mask wearing is you're going to be seeing more masks. And the real interesting thing is stop and think about upstate New York cities like Troy, like Schenectady, like Gahoes. The model has always been there's a local industry that creates the town. Mm-hmm. And when that local industry shuts down, the town just falls into decay. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting is if everybody's teleworking, will that cause a resurgence in, hey, I'm going to go to a low-cost area. I'm going to go live in Troy, New York, or on Remsen Street in Gahoes, and I'm going to work from there. So suddenly local cafes will start opening because all the mm-hmm. people are working from home. Mm-hmm. And suddenly you'll see this small town resurgence because cost of living is lower there. That'd be interesting. 
It will. It's further uh, movement away from city centers, mm-hmm. too. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. To more decentralized system. Yeah, I yeah. think um, I think you know the workplace has pretty much changed forever. There was uh, a lot of it. I think was locked into that uh, Protestant work ethic, where mm-hmm. if you were home, you weren't working, right? <laughs> no matter right. what you were doing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, work would involve going to the office or, or factory or wherever, and and being there for for your shift. And uh, if you were home, you were basically goofing off. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's been changed forever. Now, now, I have to say, using using myself as an example, the uh, the Catholic kid with the Protestant work ethic, <laughs> <laughs> um, I was not a fan of telework at all. Because, like, personnel accountability, the hard workers will be productive no matter what. But the people who aren't really hard workers are going to be taking naps and watching soap operas on TV, you know, at home. So I wasn't a big fan. And also, I... For the first eight years at work, I could not get remotely connective on email. They tried re-imaging my computer. They tried all this other stuff. And when it finally worked, the, there wasn't enough bandwidth and blah, blah, blah. Well, lo and behold, they fixed all that stuff. They increased the bandwidth. They fixed the computer. Mm-hmm. And I've been working very successfully remotely to the point where you know our, our workflow has not changed. Um, I don't see a perceptible change because we've been remotely working. So the combination of my own aging process and getting closer to retirement coupled with them fixing the technological stuff, I'm now a big fan of telework. Yeah, I think it makes it way more accessible and flexible too. You know, um, just looking at the way it plays out in my office, people who have kids who are home for a day because they're sick and, uh, you know, stay working during the day. They don't have to take time off. They have a lot more flexibility. And I think it's allowed us to keep on a lot of staff who would, who would have had to find either part-time work or uh, something else to fit in with the other things that they have going on with their life. So I hope that those accessibility pieces continue. And I, I think they will. Now, I think I've heard some people say, yeah, but nothing can substitute for an in-person face-to-face eyeball to eyeball kind of meeting. And it's like, yeah, I agree, but I think other things kind of subsume that or, or, or just transcend it. It's like too bad. It's something you, you live with because you can get close enough remotely. Now, one question for you, Elise, or actually for both of you. Mm-hmm. Um, I know one thing I've noticed working remotely, but of course I have the Protestant work ethic, mm-hmm. um, is the fact that because I'm connective 24-7, I'm finding that um, although my work hours are more dispersed during the day because mm-hmm. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fib and say I'm glued to my computer between these specific hours, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, But because I'm plugged in all the time, I'm checking my email in the evening. I'm, mm-hmm. If I can't sleep, I'm checking it at three in the morning. Yeah. And so if you add it all up, I'm a lot more present than I would be if I was at the office. Yeah, that's actually something I really struggled with. So I was uh, fully remote and then partially remote for the first year of the pandemic. And now uh, I'm pretty much fully in the office, but still have that uh, availability at home. And I am not good about setting work boundaries. And I was working just constantly at the second I would wake up or I'm, 
you know, going to the bathroom in the middle of the night and sending out work emails. And so mm-hmm. I feel like for me, I need to be in the office because otherwise I can't set that boundary. And when I'm home, and especially with COVID, not going out and doing anything else, especially in that first year, it was like, I only worked and that was the only thing I thought of. Uh, and that was a real cause of uh, burnout. So I feel like that's <laughs> that's the other piece. Like we have to learn it's a balance like have to stay productive but not make work constant because you can access it anywhere right. um you know you're you're allowed to take a break and i have a hard time now with my staff i have so many staff who are like well i can work from home so you know they have like a, a partner who's going out for surgery and they're like well i'll just work from home that week I'm like but you have time to use you don't have to always be working just because you have the ability now to do your job from anywhere so i yeah, think exactly. that's like kind of the flip side of it that now we can just have this blend of it and you really have to figure out when you're stopping work because I could do it. I could do my entire job, which is pretty complicated with grants and different things like from my phone. I could sit in this room and do it and not have to leave. Um, And so it feels like, you know, I always should be working and accessible. Mm -hmm. Yes, to to amplify uh, what Elise said, uh, if you're working from home, you're not always at home, you're always at work. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, that's very interesting. I was just thinking, it's just like um, you know, with the advent of smartphones mm-hmm. and the idea of look, you're in the middle of dinner, put your phone down, and people have their nose in their phones all the time. It's going to be the same problem with work, working remotely. It's like it's always there. Yeah, so. yeah, and you know it, that kind of reminds me. And I was thinking about trends and things that I've seen come up, and what I think will continue is I feel like throughout the pandemic both because of how highly connected everyone is and because this is a really unifying thing, not necessarily like politically or socially, but we're all experiencing COVID and it's affected everybody that I think we've returned the closest we've come to a monoculture since the internet. Like I think, you know, in the nineties and, you know, having all these cable channels, we, we split off and it's not like, oh, there's one show that everybody's watching now. And I really feel like, well, those trends are short, you know, and there's a, you know, phenomenons and like Wordle is a thing now that everybody's doing. Right. But I feel like we have a monoculture now. It's true. You know. Yeah. Uh, Tiger King. How many people watch right. Tiger King? Right. Carol Baskin was the punchline on Saturday Night Live, uh, on late <laughs> night talk shows. Right. You know. It, it was like the the Tiger King and sourdough part of the pandemic, right? right. Like you, that's a, that's a time period now in American <laughs> history and everybody knows what that means. <laughs> Did you find yourself watching stuff just so you can participate in the discussion? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I had the discussion of like, do we have to download Wordle? Because there was a joke on Saturday Night Live, and I had to ask um, Taryn, I was like, does this, is this how Wordle works? Because I don't get the joke that they're making here <laughs> because I haven't downloaded it. Um, yeah, I think especially, you know, I'm on TikTok, so I get served a lot of videos in a short amount of time that are referencing things. And I often see the uh, like discussion about something before I've seen the source material. And then you do feel like, okay, well now I've got to go watch a bunch of videos about it or watch this show or something. So I understand it and they can, you know, when they talk about it on a podcast that I'm listening to that week, I, I know what they're talking about because it does feel like, uh, yeah, you got to be. Yeah. Be aware. Yeah. And, and I think maybe that's a substitute for, for uh, especially during the lockdown, for not being out in society, not, mm-hmm. not, uh, not inter- you know, interacting with other people. 
Uh, right. So all of a sudden, these things became proxies mm-hmm. for for social contact. Mm-hmm. So everyone's baking bread. You know, you went to the uh, the flour aisle in the grocery store, and it was bare because everyone was making bread. Right. And all the flour's been bought out. Right. Right. Yeah. Mark, were you making bread? No, I was oh. eating bread. <laughs> well, that no. that was popular too. <laughs> It's a hoarding, hoarding toilet paper. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So it'll yeah. be interesting to see how long it takes the supply chain to mm. adjust to this new normal. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I would like to think that's going to be a 2022 thing. Historically, I think we've been pretty good with supply and demand. Yeah. But I think something that isn't going to go back, kind of how you know work has switched to this hybrid model, um, is that we're going to continue to be buying online at the same rate that we have been. I think we've gotten used to it. There's more and more companies that are geared towards it. And I don't know what that'll mean for, you know, changes in our post office system. I know for a while, our, there was so much mail delivery in our neighborhood uh, that they were renting U, uh, U-Haul trucks to deliver it because wow. they could just, they couldn't keep up with, the demand and now we're getting packages like you know 10 p.m at night on a sunday getting delivered i mean that that never happened before so i I think that's here to stay so even worse for brick and mortar yeah i i think so i think people you know some of it is obviously there are people who don't feel comfortable going out all the time or there are you know times where people can't for whatever reason especially with you know spikes in in COVID cases. And I think we're just so used to being able to click on everything. It kind of like took that, you know, everything you can just buy on Amazon to that next level because we had to depend on it. Like I noticed for myself, um, kind of a modification of this. I don't necessarily do a weekly online purchase, but I do a weekly uh, like delivery or a pickup from Target. So like, I don't go into the store anymore. I like only buy things at Target for my home that don't come from the grocery <laughs> store because at the height of the pandemic, when I wasn't going into stores, I could order on my phone and then they bring up to my car. And I'm like, I'm not going to switch back to that. I can buy, I switched over every brand to whatever they had at Target and I'm just going to keep doing that. So I feel like mm-hmm. we've, we've fit it into our life and we're not going to go back because it's a time saver, you know, and financially cheaper too often to, mm-hmm. you know, find deals online. Now, one thing I noticed is at the very beginning of all of this, I mean, I felt absolutely, I mean, talk about mixed emotions for myself because of the kind of job I have, because of the stage of my career I'm at. This is great. I mean, this is fantastic being able to have family time and get work done, not have a hassle commute stuck in traffic and all that kind of stuff. But I felt absolutely horrible for small business. It's like mm-hmm. horrible for the workforce, horrible for the economy. But it really surprised me how quickly local restaurants just like embrace DoorDash mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And so it makes me wonder, I wonder if brick and mortar will say, okay, we're not going to surrender and just let Amazon walk away. You can still have your stuff within 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, order locally online, we'll, ha- we'll DoorDash it to you. Or something like that. We're going to see more of that type of thing. Like yeah, Uber. Yeah. Uber came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Why would anybody get a taxi now? You know? Right, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. We just thank God we got past that uh, 
that phase of washing your your groceries and your takeout containers. <laughs> oh yeah, yes. yeah, that's right. What does it live on? I don't know. Watch it. Yeah. So you take the food out of the takeout containers and put it in different containers. Yeah. But wash the outside first so you don't get cross contamination right. when you're your moving. Wash your hands yeah. in between. And, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, it reminds me when you guys were saying that we're going to see people moving out of the city centers. I think a lot of what you're talking about, you know, delivery from small businesses already exists in some place like New York City. So I think we're taking people with that mentality, putting them out in the suburbs. And so they're going to expect the same conveniences and and also have the the money to be able to pay for, especially if their cost of living is lower. So I think we will see more of those things spread out to more suburban areas, definitely. Mm. And, and the whole living, you know, working in a virtual environment, um, you know, it's... I think uh, Facebook, now known as Meta, has kind of is trying to dovetail onto that. And this is mm-hmm. when they, you know, came out with their their proposed Meta World, uh, the 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 Metaverse. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't think that's a, my prediction is that's not going to be very successful. The, no. the, they keep trying, uh, like back in two thousand and I think two thousand three, Second Life came out. Mm-hmm. That was popular for a while, and then that just kind of fell apart and is kind of a vast wasteland now and yeah i see kind of the same thing ha- happening with with meta i mean in some ways it made it more acceptable people were used to right interacting virtually and in- interacting online uh but we already have social media and i don't think we need a level beyond that right. you know i think we'll we'll continue to see different forms of social media that will always evolve you know as we've seen like the major ones from you know myspace and tumblr through facebook instagram and tiktok but I don't think we need something different than that because we already created ourselves and it, it already has so much context in our world. I don't think we need like a Sims-like kind of... <laughs> <laughs> right. You don't need, yeah, an avatar interacting right. with other avatars. Right, right. Because we, we do, th- we have that already, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> we don't need something different. What about regulation in social media? Exactly. That's exactly what oh, okay. I was going to ask about. Do you think 2022 is going to be a year when we're going to start seeing that? And, and yeah. the kind of thing, the kind of thing I'm ta- uh, I'm talking about is, you know, uh, obviously social media is under a lot of pressure to watch content that could be dangerous. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I I agree. If somebody's trying to formulate a riot or formulate you know a crime of some sort. You got to put the kibosh on it. But the one thing I'm finding really irritating is in select areas. I, I've had friends on Facebook say something like, well, I just got part two of the COVID thing. And, um, uh, you know, I feel okay, except I'm kind of feverish and I have a headache mm. or something like that. Suddenly that hits the algorithm because you mentioned COVID vaccine. Mm-hmm. You know, so for the true thing, there's a disclaimer. So it's kind of like, how how long is this big brother thing going to hang on? Where if I go on and say, you know, there is a mothership hiding behind the moon. Well, Facebook fact checkers have found <laughs> this to be false. It's like people are going to say stupid stuff and you got to trust people are going to have a brain. You want to moderate dangerous things, not stupid things, you know. Right. And I'm right. finding it. I'm finding it kind of oppressive in my space, <laughs> annoying. Yeah, and I think if you do it on things like that, like it'll show up for something, right, where someone mentions it. Like I, I noticed recently the auto captions on TikTok capitalize who when you just say it because like the World Health Organization oh. because of the TikTok filter. And then sometimes it'll trigger 
some, you know, the little tick, like a uh, COVID banner at the bottom. And then it's just nonsense. And then people aren't paying attention to it. You know, I think there is a place for making sure that there's correct information out there. But if you have it as an algorithm that is not smart enough to distinguish where it is, it's going to become meaningless. And then there's no point to it. I, I guess yeah. I'm thinking it's at the point now where social media is almost at the point where public utilities are. You know, because yep. uh, yep. they're all regulated. You you can't just like have an electric company and charge whatever you want for electricity. Um, it, there's the, I think once you get that big, you have a certain uh, social responsibility, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think that uh, that invites regulation of some sort. I I, I kind of view it like I mean the, the metaphor is always you know the town square. You know where you disseminate information. I mean, this is a communication town square. So if you're in the town square, basically saying, you know, m- meet me and we'll start a riot at nine o'clock and burn down this block, you're going to get hauled off. You can't talk like that. Um, but if you're going to be down there saying the world will end at Tuesday at ten o'clock, you kind of go, yeah, okay, this guy's always here. He's here every week <laughs> saying the world's going to end. You just got a knucklehead saying something. You don't have to put a sticker on them. It's almost like we're we're in a new world that we haven't caught up with yet, and so we flail. We fl- we flail embarrassingly. Yeah, it's it's tough because I mean they they are private companies mm-hmm. and international companies too, and in, so it's not unlike public utilities that can be, you know, in a town, city, state, or nationally. Uh, it's kind of a nebulous thing, and it's hard to to regulate and. You, it is, I, you know, hard because you don't want to silence people, and it's impossible. It, the volume that it takes to track those kind of things is impossible to have. Like it would, we'd have to employ like the whole world to right. <laughs> read every tweet right. and you know see everything. So it, it comes down to algorithms, and they just it, we can't be intelligent enough to do it in a a way that makes it fair and just would it be like bell bell telephone where you just like break it up if instead Mm -hmm. of one facebook there are like 10 equivalents of facebook does that make it better i mean will it make it easier or or is this sort of like no it's just more the balkanization of society you're going to find a different bubble to fit in you know it's like well you gotta within certain parameters you ought to say be free to say most anything most anywhere Within certain parameters. Right. And I feel like we almost need something outside of the system itself. Like we need better like media literacy and we need to be educating people on how to intake this, you know, information. Like I remember in school, so I would have been going through middle school just as I people were switching from, you know, researching in physical books to online. Like I I remember those those years when it transitioned and mm-hmm. there was a lot of emphasis on like, you know, you have to look at like, is this a dot edu or dot gov right. or right. something like that. So it's, it's, I research think your sources. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. We need to know because it is so believable when you're seeing something. And then if it's in an algorithm and you're seeing other people respond to it and that's your whole bubble, then it's like, well, this must be true. And I have to remind myself, like, go Google this. Like, is this a true news story? Did, did this yeah. really happen? Um, and I think we need to teach people those skills on how to critically interpret that. And what, and I hope we catch up with that. What, what I've what I've done, I've had you know conversations within the family, uh, within my family, 
And um, like one thing I will do is, I'll, of course, part see part is so weird. We talk about this like uh, disinformation on the internet, but it's really a a larger topic because I think the twenty four seven news cycle when news turned into a commodity mm-hmm. to sell, it became infotainment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like that starts skewing how people view things, and right. the people with skewed views now vote. And it makes everything more extreme and polarized, so less gets done, and there's more angst, and it becomes like a breeder reactor. Um, but what, what I've told people is, I said, what I do is uh, I'll, I'll look at Google News, and what, what cracks me up is I watch for the headline. Like, there'll be an event, whatever it is. Um, there'll be an event, and you watch how the headlines are pitched, because you can tell what audience they're aiming at with the headline. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. how can one event... Uh, be pitched four different ways you know it's like welcome to today's infotainment reality and i, I don't know if that's going to get better before it gets worse i mean i don't know and and i guess i mean what are what is facebook and and twitter uh and and instagram they're, they're entertainment essentially mm-hmm. so should government even be on those channels uh with official information if it's just an entertainment outlet but it is more than that because mm-hmm. it's also like for me, I mean, I, I do occasionally go to read actual news sources, but it is the filter that I get most of my information. Um, yeah. And so I, it's hard. It's <laughs> yes, hard. Because I, the, the news cycle is not fast enough on Twitter. So you got to go to t- TikTok. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I say I say social media has grown into a utility. Um yeah. I'm with Ray on that one. And so I would regulate it much like power companies or anything else. Because with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So what else? What else do you want to talk about? No celebrity breakups? Because I don't no, know well, enough well, celebrities. Let's get into to- celebrities or, or, or entertainment uh, yeah. show reboots. Yes. There oh, seems to be that was a, on my list too. <laughs> a, a new trend uh, for really turning shows around. Like there's a, the Fresh Prince. Mm-hmm. Is coming out with a new one. Where yes. It's a drama. I saw, it's uh-huh. a serious I saw that one. Please. And there's yeah. how I met your father. Yes. And uh, well, of course Riverdale, which which turned out to be a disappointment, but it's a wild ride. <laughs> there, there's never going to be another Battlestar Galactica reboot, right? So, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, kind kind of in the kind of in the reboot category, sort of, kind of. Um, I just happened to watch Ghostbusters Afterlife the other night. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys have seen it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was I thought it was fabulous. I mean, it was. I think the it was right up on par um, with the other Ghostbusters movies, and I thought it was a great handoff from one generation to another. Mm. Uh, it's not really mm. so much. A, it's kind of a reboot uh, when, mm. when you see it. Um, but I like I like reboots that are imaginative it stays true to why you'd care about rebooting it Mm -hmm. if that makes sense Mm -hmm. there's some like lost in space there's something about lost in space that made it popular and quirky Mm -hmm. and so the and so they rebooted it and i thought i thought it was great they did a very good job it was significantly different but yet it had some of the same elements that's that's great Mm -hmm. Um, but but i think too too much of too much of the reboots i view as a lack of imagination I can't think of anything new, and so I'm going to take Mr. Ed, but turn it into a homicide drama. It's like, what? <laughs> what? 
What? <laughs> you know, crime solving horse. What? Yeah, I, I think when it works is when people, uh, you know, follow what you're saying, where it's like, we're going to stay true, but reimagine, but also only for a short amount of time, like not overstaying your welcome, do a couple, you know, a limited series or something like that, and really have a point to come back. Um, mm -hmm. You know, thinking about all of the reboots, there's not too many that I think did it really well. I think X-Files, when they came back, uh, was really fantastic because they uh, they just balanced it all really well and came out with some really good uh, episodes that I think were were some of the best, honestly, yes. that they had in the, the series. I think they took what was the most successful part of the original show and then just did it very well in the reboot. What's funny about me and X-Files is that's right down my alley, that, that kind of show. And so mm -hmm. I watched it. But the one problem I found with the show, at least for me, is if you play hide the ball long enough, I no longer care about the ball. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. I watched it faithfully until I grew bored with being puzzled all the time and never finding answers to anything. And so I stopped watching it and I didn't even see the reboot. <laughs> and they're one-off episodes that are just like, you know, bottle episodes that don't have to do with the, the overall plot are absolutely the best. And the, they stand... The test of time and when they came back were the best ones that they did. Yep. Oh. Absolutely. Did you have anything else on the uh, the reboots there? Oh, yeah. Well, something I was thinking about, you know, we've seen a lot of, um, you know, kind of we've seen reboots as Disney live actions for all the uh, cartoons that oh, we've yep. had. We're seeing shows that were not even that long ago, 10, 15 years ago. So I feel like something that we are due for is a reboot of... Saturday morning cartoons from the early 2000s. Yes. And I think that would be really interesting to do if you, I mean, certainly cartoons, I think, have remained popular and there's lots of kids' cartoons, but specifically, you know, I think there's a lot of nostalgia aimed at millennials, especially a lot of the reboots uh, of children's programming and things like that now that, you know, our generation is having kids. Um, and either rebooting it in the same universe, but with kids now, um, you know, I'm thinking about like Doug or recess or things like that, where mm -hmm. they could be the parents and they could have the kids or just checking in with them as adults and making it an adult cartoon, which have become more popular over the last 10 years. So I feel like that's a gap. And I, mm. I'm surprised that we haven't seen that yet, even as something, you know, kind of special episode or, or coming back to. So yeah, what about live that. action Johnny Quest? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm surprised all the cartoons disappeared. There are no cartoons on Saturday morning anymore. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's moved a lot to, to like Nickelodeon and things like mm -hmm. that. And, and also the adult, cartoons are yeah. very popular you know mm -hmm. in the evening yeah uh, but saturday morning is, is gone and i i read something that that has to do with advertising dollars that stations are required to provide so many hours of educational programming uh each week it's part of their mm -hmm. certification mm -hmm. and they lose the least amount of advertising revenue if they put that on saturday morning that makes sense i mean it's all it's all powered by capitalism, right? I mean, that's yeah. the same thing that we're getting this nostalgia stuff is because it's like, I mean, right now I'm watching the Sex and the City reboot and it is painful. It is so bad, but I feel nostalgic. So I'm yeah. like, well, I want to see what these characters are up to. I owe it to the series because I gave it so much of, you know, my time and my life. 
And so they're getting my, you know, for whatever streams are worth, uh, you know, my watch. But it's awful. And if it was a new show, I would not watch five minutes of it. <laughs> right. But it's, it's working on me. So they're going to keep doing it. What's your prediction on reality shows? I mean, because first, as reality shows were taken off, they were cheaper to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I guess, episodic television started written television started going away in favor of cheaper and more popular reality shows. But I burned out on reality shows a long time ago. And I'm wondering, are we ever going to start really getting back to episodic television or is it sort of like, no, it's still there. You just, it's just moved around into Netflix and things like that. Yeah. I mean, I think we're still in this golden age of TV, but the big shows are on, are, are streaming shows. And so I, I think that is where, like, you know, the prestige TV shows, our HBO, Showtime, things like that, they're not on ABC and NBC. So I think we're going to continue to see a split of half-hour comedy shows that don't really make a big splash on network TV. Uh, our prestige TV shows, I don't think that's going anywhere, especially with how much COVID has killed the movie industry. So I think mm. we're going to continue to see TV be the big the big thing. And we're getting bigger and bigger names in TV too. You know, people who are A-list movie stars continuing to do uh, TV shows. And it's like not a big deal anymore that they do it. Um, and I, I just think there is just so much momentum behind even, you know, like the Kardashians are still going, even though they're moving to a different network. The Bachelor Nation, that is never going to die. We are going to continue to have reality <laughs> dating shows until the end uh, of time. And it is just, you know, that it, it never burns out the, the uh, intensity and love that people have for those shows. And like the Real Housewives franchise. I mean, we've moved around from city to city. And they've been on forever, and it's just a formula that works, and people are going to watch it. No shortage of drama out there? No, absolutely not. <laughs> and if there is, they're going to make it up. You know, it doesn't matter. So I think we're going to keep seeing that because kind of like the nostalgia thing, people watch it, they they want to know, they want to be up to date on it, and then there's a whole ecosystem around it because it is reality TV, and there's so much. I mean, there's podcasts that people listen to as they watch along. There's after shows it's really easy to make these people minor celebrities and Instagram influencers. So it just feeds into the, the ethos of, of the, uh, the world of reality TV. An- another thing, uh, shift gears a little bit that I, I see happening is, uh, I think we're due for a, a major, uh, bubble bursting in the stock market. Actually, not just the stark stock market. There's been a housing bubble. Mm-hmm. There's a stock bu- bubble. There's a, a big tech bubble out there. There's the uh, cryptocurrency bubble, mm-hmm. uh, and it's all kind of converging. Uh, the Fed is making moves to try to limit inflation, and I think we're, we're in for a pretty big crash coming up in 2022. Mm-hmm. And I think we're gonna, it's going to be a few years to recover from that. Because mm-hmm. uh, some of the tech stocks have just been plummeting lately. Like last week was really, really bad. So I, I think it's coming. Anything I should do with my 401k, like jam it under my mattress or something uh, buy gold buy gold buy gold, buy gold. <laughs> hide it in your ceiling yes yeah. <laughs> i would i would just feel strange buying gold <laughs> <laughs> what do you do with it you can't eat it <laughs> right. uh, 
They even have mutual funds based on gold. It's like I know. How does that work? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. You yeah, I feel it. like coming uh, close to the end of the world as we did, I don't think gold is going to help us, and I don't think it'll be valuable. <laughs> no. All right, well, then I'm going to wrap this up uh, John McLaughlin style and, and throw out a question to the the, uh, the panel here. All right. Uh, make a random, random surprising prediction for 2022. Elise, your prediction. <laughs> Wrong! <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Okay, give me what? Give me a second. I have to pick a category for myself, and then I'm going to pick something random from it. Okay, um, I think we are going to see the return of big celebrity chefs. We have not seen that in a while. That hasn't mm. been something. Um, and yeah, I think that might be something. As opposed we... to TikTok chefs. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah. There's no. There's not a lot of like current household name celebrity chefs, and mm-hmm. uh, I think we're we're due for a uh, an Emerald Legacy. Okay, I like that, Mark. Watch Tulsi Gabbard. I, really? I, 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 I predict that Tulsi Gabbard is going to come back into politics. Okay. In a big way. I just don't know what that is. Wow. Uh, only because I'm I'm watching her and I subscribe mm-hmm. to her Facebook feed. Mm. For somebody who's kind of retired from government, she's maintaining a very high profile, uh, spending a lot of time com- coming across as a very much a moderate. Okay. Uh, basically saying we got to stop screaming at each other and just get stuff done. It's all in the spirit of aloha. We need to love mm. each other mm-hmm. and get business done. And I'm thinking to myself, eventually people may get so fatigued that a voice like that sounds pretty good because I'm listening to it. Yeah, I mean, I think she had a lot of momentum when she came out and a lot of yeah. uh, excitement around her. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if she tried again. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that'd be great. Mm-hmm. And my prediction is we will discover with metaphysical certainty that there once was life on Mars. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. You mean microbial? Will that count for you? Yes, my, microbial is okay. good too. So, <laughs> so uh, exobiology, that there will be, uh, we will find that maybe there is still currently some life on Mars in some form or in some sort of suspended form. All right. You think that's where politicians came from? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> They're not of this earth. <laughs> Jobs I would not take. <laughs> Wrong! <laughs> John McLaughlin. Yeah, he was great. He really uh, was great. I love that next! <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's a wrap. All right. We'll All see right. how this year goes. All right. And uh, we'll, we'll uh, review this uh, in about very a year's cool. time. Sounds good. All right. All right. You've been listening to the Cathartic Yardstick Podcast. Join us again as we try to navigate the murky waters of living in uncertain times. It's one's moving, your your uh, headphones are leaking. My headphones are leaking. They're leaking. <laughs> Is that my, that's, that's been a long-standing problem, <laughs> particularly at night. I get up often. Yeah. Susan nudges me and says, your headphones are leaking. <laughs> I say, choose your next witticism carefully, man. <laughs>